everyone. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod. We're here for a quick update on recruiting and also to talk about Michigan State's non-conference schedule, which was just released. It is, of course, opening day as we're recording this for Michigan State's football season. So that, of course, is where most of our attention is towards. But we always have a sidelong glance towards what's going on in basketball since this is the final force on the schedule, which is a basketball podcast. So this hopefully gets some uh, listening enjoyment, maybe on your return back from from the Spartan Stadium or maybe after the game. Hopefully after victory, we assume against Central Michigan. Um before we begin, I just want to remind you that you can support the show, just like Ken Kramer. Thanks again, Ken, for supporting the show with a one-time payment via pay, uh, PayPal. Uh, you can find ways to do that via PayPal or Venmo at thefinalforceontheschedule.com slash support. You can also find ways of giving us a recurring gift uh, through Patreon or Substack, which is a way to help support the show, as well as our other sponsors of the show. Uh, so let's go over, I guess, real quickly, the non-conference schedule. <laughs> and Michigan State's always funny. I always do a, um, a countdown from the first ga- to from the first 56 days before before the opening day. And it is sometimes tight with Michigan State because they're slow, so late in getting their non-conference schedule out uh, compared to all the other Big Ten teams. Because I think the rest of the Big Ten had their schedule out probably two weeks ago. Depends on the school, but a lot of them, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we'll just go over the schedule. There are two exhibition games this season. There is, of course, the Hillsdale, which is their sort of the typical on October 25th. Uh, it's, in, of course, in East Lansing. This year, an unusual circumstance that Tennessee, which was a closed scrimmage that they they posed, had in Knoxville last year, uh, they were planning doing a closed scrimmage again in East Lansing this year because I think Izzo and Mike Barnes are... are um, Rick really Barnes. Cl- Rick Barnes, sorry. Thank you. Are really tight friends is my impression. Yeah. Uh, but because of what happened in Maui, they decided to open it up to, it's going to be televised in some format. We're not sure at this point, uh, it's going to be at the Breslin center and it's going to be open. And so I don't know if that's going to be part of the regular ticket holders or if it's going to be an additional sort of thing. I'm not quite sure how it's going to work at this point. The details aren't out. Uh, I intend to being there if I can. Uh, and that of course is going to support the, the victims uh, and sort of the destruction that happened in Maui and Lahaina. Yeah. Uh, just a few weeks, like a week ago, I guess now, uh, as we're recording this. Uh, so those would be the two exhibition games. And then the, the regular season begins on November 6th, which will be James Madison. And then there'll be a second uh, game on November 9th, Southern Indiana, before Michigan State plays in the Champions Classic and takes on Duke on the 14th. Uh, then the Gavit games return to East Lansing, where Butler comes back to school, and I think you know we're, it was a road game last season at Butler for the Gavit games. No, nope. kind of little... that was two years ago. Was it two years Gavit, ago? Oh. Gavit games last year was uh, at home against Villanova. Oh yeah, yeah, right, yeah, okay. Yeah. So yeah, okay, that makes more sense because I was going to say it seems like it seems like weird that you play the same team back to back with the Gavit games, but obviously you're right. right. Uh, so Butler's coming in, still a pretty depleted squad uh, from uh, last year. Uh, then the nineteenth, another home game against Alcorn State. And the 23rd, which is uh, Thanksgiving, which will be out in Palm Springs against the Wildcats from Arizona. And I think actually Elkhorn State and Arizona are part of a technically a multi-team event, a tournament. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's, uh, but the, obviously the I think it's, I think it's, a- I think it's AccuSure, I believe. Yeah, there you go. 
which is I think related to um, uh, one of the large donors for the. For There's Michigan a Michigan State, State connection. That is, that yeah, is correct. somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then we'll have uh, a bye game. <laughs> you know the, the tomato can. Georgia Southern comes in on the 28th. And then there's a big game, which will be in Detroit, which will be against Baylor on the 16th of December. The 18th of December will be Oakland at home and then Stony Brook on the 21st. And then a matchup against the Sycamores from on December, either the 29th or the 30th right now, which, you know, if you've been around a while, the last time they played was 1979 in a national championship game with Bird and Magic. And who knows sort of what sort of connection they'll have if those both those players will be there. I don't know. Nothing's clear at this point um, as they're announcing it. And obviously in that schedule too, there are going to be two Big Ten games sandwiched probably December 5th through 10th or something, or 15th or something like that, uh, where they have one away and one home game. They'll be in that gap between November 28th and December 16th. So if you're looking at the schedule and you see that, you know, basically two-week gap, more than two-week, two-and-a-half-week gap and think that's strange, don't. Yeah. <laughs> there will be two games that will get plugged in there. And and frankly, that's why also the Big Ten not yet having announced the schedule is why that Indiana State game is still up in the air as to whether it'll be the 29th or the 30th because it's going to depend on when Michigan State comes back into Big Ten play. That'll determine which of those two days. Exactly. They could be playing January 2nd instead of you think, right. well, let's play the 29th right. instead of the 30th, you know. Uh, so we'll start, I guess, with a discussion on this. Let's just begin, I guess, first with the exhibition game, because that's very unusual yeah. with the with the Tennessee. And then we'll kind of talk about some other subjects after that. Yeah, um, obviously, you know, the first one against Hillsdale, as you said, is more of the um, garden variety game that Michigan State plays against. A, they often play a D2, sometimes a D3 mm-hmm. opponent. So that's par for the course. But um, the fact that Tennessee is an exhibition rather than a closed scrimmage is unusual. And uh, this has, I believe there are at least three of these that have been announced thus far that are all going to be, I believe, donating money to um, to the situation in, in Maui. Um, cool. Illinois and Kansas are, was actually the first one to announce so that's Bill Self's return to play the school that he coached at. God, it's 20 years ago now. Hard to believe um, <laughs> yeah. it's been that long. But uh, but yeah, um, that's one of them. And I'm drawing a blank on what the third one was. The Michigan State was the second to announce Michigan State, Tennessee. And then there's been a third that's been announced as well. Uh, obviously, great cause. So you start with that. Um, but this is, as, as I think you noted, Michigan State played at Tennessee last year and that was a closed scrimmage and and those things have come into vogue in recent years you know the standard had always been well if i go way back the standard was you played exhibition games against touring teams and once upon a time it used to be national teams so for example uh michigan state in the national championship season of 78 79 played the russian national team Mm-hmm. which was okay. that Soviet, I'm sorry, Soviet national Soviet, yeah, team, right. which was then, you know, generally considered to be the second best bas- amateur basketball team in the world behind whatever the U.S. Olympic team would be. Um, and Michigan State beat them in a competitive game. And that was, if you needed to know how good Michigan State was, that was a pretty good indicator, the fact that they beat them. Um, 
then you started there was also there were also these other things the the big one was athletes in action and yes, i'm sure that yep. the people of a certain age listening to this will remember that name athletes in action used to have they might have even had multiple teams for all i know but they had at least one team it was a i don't know if it was non-denominational christian associated but it was it was associated with christianity and it was ex-college players who weren't pros that would tour and you know there were there were obviously they were raising money for the organization and there was also some you know that i'm using this in a very loose term evangelical uh process Mm -hmm. uh, that was attached to it but they would play marathon oil used to sponsor a team and and so you would see these those would be your exhibition games then it started to change to you're playing D2s and D3s. And then even more recently, you started seeing these closed scrimmages. And it the initial stages, I and my memory may be slightly off, but I want to say this started to come into vogue maybe about a decade or so ago. And it would typically be Michigan State wasn't a participant in these things typically. I remember Michigan, John Beeline was an early adopter, and you would hear uh things come out of these closed scrimmages where Michigan would face, say, Toledo or Bowling Green, somebody like that. Uh, another D1, but a mid-major. In more recent years, like within the last five years, it's evolved yet again, and now you have serious power programs playing each other in these things, and it makes all the sense in the world because it was perfect for coaches. It was closed scrimmages, so you don't have the pressure of fans right. looking at it and expecting a victory. And you can actually treat it in a more meaningful way, at least in terms of what the coaches want to accomplish. So it'll be interesting. The fact that they're labeling this an exhibition, I don't know if it's going to be exactly the same format. I tend to think it won't be as these closed scrimmages have been, because my understanding is they, they treat those differently than just playing a game. It's yeah. they might they they'll play a segment or segments that will simulate a game, but then they might also do an extra period of time where they're attempting to address certain kinds of situations. I mean, this this gets into stuff maybe that's much closer to the um, the range of approaches that you see in spring football. Right. You know, yeah. Special I don't, teams practice and yeah, you know, two minute dr drives or something exactly. like that. At last year, Michigan State went to Tennessee. Tennessee was obviously very good, played down there, and the word was that Michigan State played extremely well until the tail end of the game, and Tennessee pulled away for a win, but it was very competitive. Michigan State showed up well, and I think that was the, the first solid indicator you had that Michigan State was likely to be improved because Tennessee was expected to be really good, and in fact, they were. Mm -hmm. uh, they got, I believe they got to the Sweet 16 as well as Michigan state last year, they were a top 10 team for significant parts of the season. They took out Duke last year in the tournament. I remember yeah, that. Right. Um, so very good team. You mentioned Rick Barnes is a good friend of Tom Izzo's their, their programs and the things they value, the approaches are not a hundred percent down the line, the same, but there are a lot of, there's a lot of crossovers, a lot of similarities, Fans may remember Michigan State played Texas pretty frequently when Rick Barnes was there. 
they had home and home series uh, against Texas. So there's a longstanding relationship there. Tennessee is once again expected to be very good uh, on the fringes of the top 10 again in the mm-hmm. preseason. So this should be a really good early test. And especially if it's treated more or less like a game, I'm not sure it will be. I wouldn't be surprised if you see different playing combinations, maybe going a little deeper into the bench uh, for significant minutes than we would normally see, but still it, it should be great. And the fact that we're all going to be able to see it is an added bonus. For sure. Yeah. I mean, as a, as a ticket holder, and again, I don't know if this is an extra one I have to purchase or something, but to have a really a good team in town. Would be I got to, really b- nice I got to believe it is. I got to believe it is because it's a, it's, it's a charitable, there's a charitable purpose here. So they're looking yeah. for money yeah. So <laughs> above and beyond the usual athletic department money. Right. Uh, see, yeah. Right. Seeking activity. Yeah. Um, and it'll be great to have them. I mean, Butler's coming in. That's the big name, I guess you'd say for the non-conference, which is not, which is, you know, a, not a bad name. It's just not probably a great team. Yeah. For Breslin. I think, you, I think you count the Baylor game as a quasi home game, even though it's down here in Detroit. Yeah. Um, you know, that's yeah. the big one, but you're right. For Breslin, Butler would be the the highlight. Yeah. Uh, so then let's talk about some other things. The interesting thing about the non-conference schedule, too, is there are no road games, no true road games. Yeah. Obviously, they're playing out in Palm Springs. Usually, Michigan State plays in a multi-term event, like, you know, multi-team event like Maui, you know, Invitational, Battle for Atlantis, you know, Alaska Shootout, all those sorts of things. They obviously don't have one this year. I think this is somewhat a reflection. There's no ACC Big Ten challenge anymore. That's you know part of the for sure. trash heap for sure. of history, uh, so that it doesn't exist anymore. And so you're not guaranteed a road game every other year. But it, I think it's a little unusual, and maybe my guess is that this is probably going to be an aberration for a no true road games for Michigan State. Yes, would be my hunch. And I think you know, looking at the schedule, you can certainly think to yourself, eh, Baylor might be it next year. Uh, just, you know, the way things yep. come out, unless unless yep. Gavit Games throws one for Michigan State as well. Well, so so here's the thing. Uh, the first that's absolutely true. The first surprising thing to me, I'm not quite sure why MSU is not on the road in the Gavit Games. The only thing I can think of is that the the more important thing to the organizers of that event and believe me, I'm sure Fox has a role in that since they're the <laughs> televising partner, but the, perhaps the more important thing was simply they wanted that matchup rather than worrying about, well, Michigan state was at home last year in the Gavit games playing Villanova. They should be on the road because as you noted, you just had the year wrong. Michigan yeah. state played at Butler two years ago. So they might not have wanted to repeat that, Yet they wanted Michigan State to face Butler for whatever reasons. So that's where the road game could have come. The ACC challenge is gone. Now, I happen to think, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've got this right, that ESPN has scratched the standing SEC Big 12 challenge and are replacing that with the an ACC SEC challenge. So the Big 12, it seems to me, has an opportunity have an, as an opening. Yeah. And I think a big, I would anticipate, I'd be kind of surprised if by next season, we don't see a big 10, big 12 challenge, um, which would be great from a basketball point of view, because the big 12 has been outstanding. And frankly, with the new teams they're bringing in, they've added 
you know, programs like Cincinnati and Houston, that league's only gotten even better from a basketball perspective. So that would be a hell of an event just in terms of quality. Yeah, I think it would lack, you know, the Big 12's got, again, great basketball programs. Uh, the thing about the ACC challenge is you had North Carolina and Duke. Exactly. The Big yeah. 12, the Big 12 has Kansas. But it's and, not and as then, sexy and then nobody, for the lay fan, yeah. Well, that, but you could argue Kansas is in there as a draw with, with Carolina and Duke, but there's no second team at that right, level. Yeah, sure. So it's, but, but from purely from a quality point of view, that would be great. Assuming that that happens, I think the chance of, you know, as you said, alternating years where you're going to have road games as part of that event, like MSU last year went to Notre Dame. That was the true road game right. as part of the ACC challenge. Um, we'd all like to forget that one, but um, it did happen. <laughs> Thanks. A I lot. think you're. I think you're right about Baylor. Um, that's probably a road game next year. Although perhaps it would be like this one at a quasi, you know, semi-neutral site in Texas. Maybe they, maybe they play it in Dallas or you know Houston. I don't know where. Um, but that one has the look. I would agree with you there as well. It has the look of that. Um, so that's, you know, from, from Tom Izzo's perspective, I would guess this isn't, this aspect of the schedule is not totally ideal because he likes having that kind of challenge mm -hmm. where they got to go into a road environment and play somebody um, that's capable of beating them. I mean, there are even been years where I remember several years ago, I couldn't believe Michigan state did it. They actually agreed to play a road game at Bradley, yeah, which is a tough place to, you know, anywhere in the Missouri Valley conference, you're going on the road. That's tough. And they've occasionally done those kind of things. I, I want to say there was a, there was a year they went to Bowling Green, maybe um, they've done some of these things on rare occasions um, in the past, but not this year. So yeah, they don't have that element to it. They do have, as we said, they've got a neutral, um, technically three, but, but let's call it two and a half since not even half since Baylor is still really a home game, Duke and Arizona, both in neutral sites. Um, and that's as close as you get. Yeah. I mean, and I would say the other thing, looking at the schedule, you could also imagine them going to Indiana state next year. I mean, that'd be the other possibly, possibility, right? That's sure. A, you know, if, when I wouldn't, I would notice too, that when it comes to Oakland, you know, Oakland is every other year at Mid-Breslin and the other year it's always in Detroit just because yeah. it's a bigger draw, obviously. Uh, and then you almost see maybe a, maybe this is a plan by Michigan State to try and play a game in Detroit every year because of course now you're playing Baylor when you're on yep. the off year, you're not playing Oakland. I, I don't know if that's a strategy from, you know, exposure Wouldn't be surprising, but Wouldn't they're be always surprising. thinking about other things too, right? Yep. I think you're, I think you're quite possibly right about that. I, I do know that, you know, that's something they like to do. And perhaps they've reached the point where they've decided, Hey, that's something we want to try to do every year one yeah. way or the other. Um, you know, the Indiana state thing will be interesting. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, the, the bird magic elements this is the first time since that game that the two schools have met hard to believe and, in some ways. Yeah, it is because of proximity and, you know, MSU has faced not a lot, of Missouri Valley teams. Cause that's a tough, that's a tough one. You know, scheduling a Missouri Valley team is, is difficult because they play a really good caliber of basketball in that league. 
and you don't get credit for beating those teams from right. fan bases at least, but those are tough games. And and yet those programs are all healthy enough that they're not in the position that a Stony Brook or a Georgia Southern or Southern Indiana is, where they're yeah. just, it's a buy game. It's money that they need for their programs. Indiana State's basketball program, I would guess, is okay financially. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sure. Missouri Valley does very well in terms of draws. You know, the number of people that they have in the stands, they actually do very, very well from an attendance perspective. So those schools, I guess my point is those schools aren't as pressured to maybe um, be willing to go on the road or, you know, just exclusively play um, a Big Ten team on the road without a corresponding home date. And they've said nothing about this being a home and home. So we'll see. But um, I would be kind of surprised if they're not going to turn this into something that's fairly uh, attention grabbing, meaning trying to get guys from those teams in 79 to this game. Now, yeah, for sure. With with magic, it's the thing about it is he's always back here for the holidays. Right now, this is a little later than that with this coming right just prior to new year, but you never know. It might dovetail nicely with that with bird. I don't know. I don't know how often bird even goes back to, uh, to Tara hot, but, um, It'll be interesting to see what they can pull off, but knowing how Michigan State does these things, I've got to believe you shouldn't just expect it to be another game. And and here's the other thing. That's going to be a very competitive game. Indiana For State sure. won yeah. 23 games last year overall, and they were on the plus side. They were a winning team in the Missouri Valley as well. They've got a lot back. Uh, that should be a very good team. I would rate that, in fact, when I look at the schedule, that's the fourth best opponent they play. Duke, Arizona, Baylor, pretty clearly one, two, three, I think in that order. Right. Um, not counting Tennessee here because that's an exhibition. And then I would say, at least in my view, I would rate Indiana State maybe a little bit ahead of Butler in terms of quality. I think Butler's probably going to be better because it's year two of Thad Mata's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. regime. And I, I am still a big believer in Thad Mata as a basketball coach. So I expect they're going to be better. They also have Pierre Brooks coming in in that game to uh, hopefully, uh, I'm sure from his perspective, to uh, gain a little uh, gain a little something over his ex-teammates, his ex-coaches. Exercise some demons. Yeah, um, right. yeah. So, but Indiana State will be a tough game. Uh, you know, aspects of this I like. I, Michigan State's obviously getting tested well. You've got a preseason top five in Duke, a team kind of on the fringe of the preseason top 10 in Arizona, then a solid top 20 in Baylor, and then two other teams in Indiana State and Butler that I think are quality teams. And although you wouldn't expect either one to definitely be a tournament team, I think going into the season, they both would have reason to think that they've got a shot. So that's pretty good. That's a pretty good mix. The other thing I like about it, the schedule, a great deal is we are used to on an almost annual basis, having games that end up being scheduling losses. And it's usually got to do with time, a combination of timing and travel. So last year, for example, we talked about that game at Notre Dame. That was the epitome of a scheduling loss. There was just, that's what, that's what happened flat out. 
Michigan State came off the Phil Knight thing in Portland and immediately went to South Bend. They were already banged up, so that didn't help. But that was a scheduling loss, and we mm-hmm. see that frequently. They would have they would have times where they'd be playing playing in Maui or playing some other event on the West Coast, and then be flying back across to go play Duke at Cameron, you know, something like that, like two days later. I mean, we've had (laughs) these kind of events before. When I look at the schedule, I don't see anything like that. There's some nice spacing. The closest you get to it is there's three games in five days where you've got Baylor, Oakland, and Stony Brook. But that's Detroit, East Lansing, East Lansing. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. And the fact that the best of those three teams by far is up first. I like a great deal because that means you, you put everything into Baylor. And if you're a little bit tired for Oakland and Stony Brook, well, you should be able by all rights, especially with the depth this team has to get through those. You'd rather have it that order than Oakland, Stony Brook, and then Baylor, for example. Yeah. So I look at this, you know, it's just not, you got Southern Indiana five days until Duke. Um, you've got three days between Duke and Butler, but it's only Chicago to East Lansing. So that's no big deal. Um, yeah, it's a pretty, to me, it's a pretty manageable schedule. I think they're going to be tested at a, at a high enough level that by the time it's done, we're all going to have a pretty good idea where Michigan state is. Are they legitimately, at least at that point in the season, playing at a national contender level the way we kind of expect them to um or are there some are there some issues that get uh brought to the surface by virtue of playing these good opponents um the only other thing i would say about it is although it's good at the high end usually what ultimately determines what your strength of schedule looks like from a metric perspective is where those other teams slot in and it's just too early to tell you know, are the James Madisons, the Southern Indianas, the Alcorn States, are those teams, say, you know, ranked between, say, 200 and 250? Like Minnesota. Or are they, te- <laughs> right, or are they teams in the 300 and below category? Right. And if yeah. you've got a lot of those, if you've got three, four of those in that range, that can really ding your strength of schedule a little bit. So um, that remains to be seen as to how that slots in. Uh, but I don't think you can really be particularly worried about that right now. I think, I think to me, yeah. I look at this, I like, I like this schedule. I really do. I think it, I think it gets, it accomplishes everything except maybe giving you that one true road test. You would ideally like everything sure. else. I think it does. It does pretty well. And of course the only team that would not be affected by that scheduling, uh, playing those tomato cans, as you put it, would be Ohio State since they played them last year and still seem to be buoyed by the metrics despite their <laughs> floundering in the Big Ten. Um, yeah. <laughs> the inexplicable Ohio State uh, matrix or something that happened last year. Uh, so uh, let's talk about some recruiting stuff. I just want to remind you, you know, I'm, I'm powering through a cold here, so I apologize a little bit for my voice. Uh, but, you know, the one thing I don't have to worry about is I don't have to worry about my gutters. I don't have to power through and clean those things out because I had that all taken care of by the brothers Just Do Gutters. They do fantastic work. They're a great sponsor of the show. They're su- very supportive of Michigan State basketball. And so I'd love it for you guys to support them. I know we've had some uh, listeners who have had them work on their their houses. 
and they've been very pleased with the service and have been, you know, thanks to you for reaching out to them too for that. You get 10% off your estimate by just mentioning Final Four. Uh, you have coverage if you're in the Grand Rapids out to the Lakeshore area. And if you're on the east side of the state, in the, the entire Detroit metro area, uh, Greg and his team will take care of you as well. So you are fully covered. You can check out the links to it underneath the podcast player, and you can get a hold of those guys at brothersgutters.com. And you won't regret it. They do fantastic work at a great price, and they get it done quickly. And I almost would say just about any weather, so you've got plenty of time. Because even if it's not water that you're worrying about, like with rain in the next couple of weeks, you know you can get all kinds of problems too uh, with your with the leaves that are piled up or with the ice that comes up, which is I don't want to talk about too much, but you know that is a reality of Michigan. Uh, so let's talk about some developments that happened recruiting. We had you know a show two weeks ago where we talked about the targets for Michigan State, and uh, let's begin with 2024 target Jace Richardson, who's a son of um, Jason Richardson. So quite a, an interesting development, I guess. I thought it was interesting that he's going to be make, taking a second official visit to Michigan State, and I think we're the only ones he's had an official visit to to this point. Correct. And so by definition, Michigan State will be the only school who will have the opportunity to have him on a second official. Um, this one kind of came quickly. And this is a big recruiting weekend. We're, we're recording this, you say, Friday Friday afternoon just before uh, tonight's Kick football off. game. So yeah. this weekend uh, has turned into a, a pretty important one for Michigan State. And the most important at least in the near term, is Jace Richardson. So son of Jason Richardson. Um, by the way, I just as a an aside, uh, and he did not pay me for our show for the, uh, the shout-out, the advertisement, but um, I just listened today to an interview on Jack Ebling's show. So it's The Drive with Jack. If you're not familiar, um, you can look that up on um, – wherever you get podcasts, Twitter, et cetera. Um, he's been having a series where he has Sean Respert as a guest host, and they do like 20 to 30-minute segment where they interview another of Michigan State great. And so he's had like Eric Snow has been on there where they talk about fire and ice, et cetera. But the most recent one, the one I listened to today, is he had Jason Richardson. So the timing nice. is great. And they talked about Jace um, a little bit, and Jason confirmed a lot of the things that I've heard through the grapevine, you know, he, of course, he loves Michigan State, but he really thinks it's important to um, view recruiting as from a parent's perspective, not from an ex-Michigan State player's perspective, meaning that mm -hmm. he wants his son to do what's best for him. Yep. And uh, so he walked through all that. And, of course, they reviewed his playing days. And everything. I can't recommend highly enough listening to that whole series. All the I think they've done five episodes now. Very much worth your time. But um, in any event, Jace, I, I have gotten the sense as this year has progressed that Michigan State was in better and better position. I think there was a conventional wisdom a while back that this would be a tough recruitment for Michigan State to win because Jace did not grow up in Michigan. Right. You know, he grew up in Las Vegas and that's where he went to high school. He transferred to a school in Florida for his, this coming year, his senior year, but he played at Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas, his first three years. I uh, played at a, for a U teams based in the West 
Vegas elite. And then this year he was with Paul George, which is out of California, Southern California. Um, so he doesn't have those connections to Michigan that his father had obviously growing up here. And it just didn't seem like it was likely, but that has changed because Michigan state has really recruited him well. And they've recruited him not as simply a legacy, but as his own guy. And it, I think there's a lot of optimism. Let's mm -hmm. put it that way. I think the fact that this visit was scheduled is an additional sign that there's very much reason for optimism on this front. Uh, he did take an official about this time last year. It was last September. It was the only official he took during his junior year. He's got officials also scheduled for the near term to Alabama and Cincinnati. And interestingly, you know, all along the school that I've heard was the other ser most serious contender for him is Arkansas. And yeah. part of that is that Eric Musselman, Arkansas's head coach, coached Jason Richardson at Golden State for a while. So when he was in the NBA. So there's a relationship there the same way there's a relationship with Tom Izzo. But Arkansas, he has not scheduled an official visit with Arkansas. And maybe one will come uh, yet this fall. So I guess you can't rule that out. But the longer it goes like this, the more it really starts to look to me like you put Michigan state in the driver's seat. I think that's, that started to become almost the conventional wisdom on this recruitment is that it, Michigan state is in very, very good shape just to re reiterate who he is as a player. He's not his dad. And on that Jack Ebling, Sean Respert episode, I was talking about, they talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, Jace is a combo guard. He's 6'3", so he's not as tall as his dad was. He's not nearly the athlete, but then again, outside of <laughs> Cohen Carr, who is? Um, so that's not a knock. He is actually a very athletic guard. Don't think he's not an athlete. He's just not, you know, all world. Um, but he's a skilled guy. He's a competitor. He's got toughness. Um, he fits the Michigan State mold. It seems very clear that Tom Izzo is hell-bent on, on having multiple legitimate ball-handling options simultaneously, either in the same lineup or at least on the roster. You've seen it with this year's team where, you know, Michigan State's got five guys, <laughs> yeah. by my count, that in a pinch could play point guard on this year's team. It's almost half the team. <laughs> right, and I think... That's the intention going forward. And so Jace Richardson would fit that if you project into next year, you know, theoretically you could have Jace Richardson, Jeremy Fears, and Trey Holloman all together, all three of which could, could play with the ball with their hands a lot. So it makes a lot of sense, but at his size at six, three helps because that means he's big enough that at least in theory, um, he may be a good wing matchup defensively. You know, uh, yeah. the same way that Michigan State with Jaden Akins and A.J. Hogard, they have some defensive versatility with those guys because they're a little bit bigger than a standard point guard might be. Well, Jace kind of could fit into that slot that way of that mode of thinking as well. So very big deal. If Michigan State gets him, 
I mean, honestly, if they if they wrap up Jace Richardson, and I'm not expecting that it happens immediately after this visit, but you never know. It, it kind of feels like it's tracking for a fall decision. Um, so we may know in the next couple months, at least, if they do get him. I think at that point, they just go into the spring, and I think we talked about this in our recruiting episode. Uh, and Bryson Tucker is the other guy that's on the radar. Yeah, wait and he see. He probably. Tells it right. He probably doesn't decide until spring. And I think that's a great position for Michigan State. If you've got three guys in the class signed, then you go into the spring, you wait and see for sure what kind of attrition you have from your roster. You can wait on Bryson Tucker because he's good enough to wait on, and yet they don't have to feel forced to do anything. And then depending upon what happens on those two fronts, you're there at portal time. So it really it works out nicely. But right now, in my mind, it's really two guys left from the high school ranks. It's Jace Richardson, Bryson Tucker. So if you get mm-hmm. one of those two guys committed in the fall, well, then you're you're in the catbird seat. I mean, you really are. Yeah, it's been impressive that to follow up the really great class they just brought in to have another already make you know the already what they have is a really good class, and just to add to that would be even more impressive. If they if they sign Jace Richardson and and Bryson even just Jace Richardson it would be a really good class if they yeah, have Jace right, Richardson exactly. and if they have Jace Richardson and Bryson Tucker to add to Curtane and Jesse McCullough <laughs> that's a class very much on par with this year's freshman class and to have those as you say back to back really impressive and it would be another indicator too of Tom Izzo running counter to the prevailing wins in college basketball, which are don't load up on high school players, um, keep slots available for the spring, hit the portal hard, that, that that is increasingly the direction that a lot of the country seems to be choosing to go in. And I, I by that, I mean high majors. Right. And Tom Izzo, he's, he's said it many times. He's not going to completely issue the the portal. He'll he'll go to the portal when he feels he needs to, but his preference is still the same model he's always had. And if if he puts a second, you know, back to back classes of that caliber together, who's to tell him he's wrong? Well, I mean, it may be a competitive advantage, right? I mean, it's until this plays its way out, you don't know who's got the right approach, and it's probably some sort of hybrid, but. I mean, if maybe Musselman's not going after Richardson because he's wants to keep something open for the the uh, for the portal because he doesn't know what his needs will be next year. I mean, who knows what the coaches are putting up? And you make a good point there because Arkansas has been relentless since this era has started in terms of portal activity. I mean, they just and, and that may be that may be part of the analysis on uh, the Richardson families for, for all I know, I, I haven't heard this, but it would stand yeah. to reason if I were a high school recruit thinking about Arkansas, my biggest concern would be, okay, I see my path right now, but what's going to happen in April and May, right? Is this guy going to go crazy and sign two other guys who can play a similar role to me, but they're, they've got two or three years of college experience under their belts, you know? Whereas at Michigan State, you can be pretty certain as to the you know what your path looks like when you're being recruited and when you sign, it's going to largely be the same. 
you know, that you, you don't anticipate there would be radical differences because Izzo decided to go crazy and sign five guys out of the portal. You know, I don't think you could say that about some other programs And Arkansas would be at the top of the list where you really can't have any idea what they're going to do. And in fact, if you were hedging your bets, the smart bet would be, yeah, expect them to be active in the portal because that's what they've done every year. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, with portal of Michigan state, it's oftentimes, well, I mean, it's like with most teams, you don't know what the, your, where your departures are. You don't have a real good feel oftentimes for right. where your personnel are going to be the next year. And so that's always going to be an uncertainty for any high school uh, recruit coming in. But you at least don't have the added <laughs> added concern of getting recruited over with, you know, players yeah. who are experienced. Uh, so let's go on to uh, some other players. I don't know if we talked about Davian Dave, uh, Hanna from Wisconsin. Okay, yeah. So he's a 25 recruit, and so he's coming on an unofficial uh, so let's talk about him real briefly. He may be an official. I think okay. he's an official. You can take officials as a uh, a junior, and he's entering his junior year. Oh, sure. So right. he would be, I, yeah. I think I think he's an official. I'm not 100% on that, but I think he is. Big-time player. You generally see him in the top 30 nationally in that class. 6'4". Um, has some... They say combo ability, but I think you you think about him primarily as a wing and just another really good player from traditional Michigan State Big Ten recruiting grounds. He's a Milwaukee kid. Um, you know, the schools you would expect to be involved, they're involved, Marquette, Wisconsin, but Michigan State's been on him hard for a long time, and they are considered to have a very serious shot as of this point. So um you know, you don't expect anything major on that front this early, but um, yeah. good to be getting these guys in, these high-level guys uh, in at this stage. And that's the that's the thing that's so important about the way Izzo's been recruiting for the last couple of years. He's not taking stuff for the next class generally into the spring. Now, as we talked about, Bryson Tucker probably is going to be a guy like that, but that's one guy. It's not a big deal. You're not you're not in a situation where you're like, well, we're still recruiting three guys for the 24 class into the spring. You know what that means is you've got a lot of time and a lot of resources to develop to the younger classes and continue to foster and strengthen those relationships. So Davion Hanna coming in would be an example of that. There's an opportunity for Michigan State to do that. And you could look at the recruitment of Kurtang and Jesse McCullough. They were committed early in the spring. I mean, and you feel they feel com- obviously comfortable with those solid commitments. I, I don't know exactly when they did their uh, officials either, but you wonder if that's the same thing. They're sort of on that timeline where you're maybe you're looking at Hannah and thinking, oh, this is a guy who's going to probably commit by spring. If we get him now, maybe he'll come yep. maybe by March, he's going to feel comfortable just saying, all right, I'm done. I'm just going to enjoy my senior year of high school and my summer of AU before uh, my last summer AU ball, you know? Yes, exactly. It becomes a domino effect. So the, the earlier you can get started on the younger classes, the more prepared you may be for them to make earlier decisions. And then the process repeats, right? Right. So, and, yeah. and you prevent them from going other places and seeing other, you know, I mean, that's obviously right. part of it too. Right. Right. Uh, so, uh, you know, and one last thing too, and especially when we had a conversation with uh, Garrick Norman, there's definitely, 
as soon as they start do that official, I think they definitely feel like, uh, you know, they, they're watching that season unfold. They kind of feel like they're part of the team in some respects, right? The team's communicating the players. And so they already kind of are part of that family. And so I think that is a real, I think that's something that we've seen in the recruitment, at least people when they're stating why they came, I think that is all part of it, right? The sooner you get them in that sort of the, the atmosphere and so they, they get sucked in, <laughs> they sort of get sold on the program earlier. It is a huge part of what Michigan State does. You hear it. Look, all places will blow smoke about, yeah, we have a family environment. You know, we treat we treat each other as a family. That's a cliche. Yeah. But at Michigan State, it has long been a reality. I'll bring up that Jason Richardson interview I listened to today. He talked about that. He talked about how when he was a junior in high school, Mateen Cleaves pulled him aside when he was there you know, on some kind of visitor, he might've even just been there for an open gym run and told him, look, if you come here, we're going to win a national championship. And he ended (laughs) up being a prophet, but, and he said from that point forward, he knew he was going to come to Michigan state that he felt like he was on the team before he ever got there. And you hear the guys who end up at, look, that might not be for everybody and it might not matter to everybody. But the guys who end up at Michigan State, generally speaking, you hear some version of that as yeah. one of the reasons why they came. So you're absolutely right. The, the more opportunities you get to have these guys on campus, which means the earlier you can start with them doing that, the, the more likelihood there is that you're going to develop those kind of bonds. And that all and, and then that hopefully what you hope for is that that in turn, when and if they do come to Michigan State, that's going to mean that their relationships with teammates, with coaches, with the community are all better and deeper, which should help in terms of the team being better, all else being equal. You know, we talk a lot about the value of chemistry and it's another one of these cliches. Everybody talks about how important it is and how great the chemistry is that they've got. Well, it's not great everywhere. We know that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And and even years at Michigan State, despite the fact that I think they put more emphasis on it than most. And even at Michigan State, it's not always that way. I mean, without rehashing it, there have been points in the Izzo era. There have been the odd season here or there where you could kind of see it that, Mm -hmm. hey, this group, this group has some divergent agendas there. They don't seem as tight as some other ones. Generally speaking, when Michigan State is at their best, and I happen to think this current group seems to be really, really good in that respect, <laughs> but generally speaking, when Michigan State's at their best, the chemistry's at its best, you know, and your odds are better for developing that the longer guys feel like they're really a part of it, even extending back to their recruitments. All right, so let's talk about two uh, unofficial visits for the 26s who are coming to East Lansing, uh, TJ Crumble and Stephen Reynolds. Yeah, so we'll start with TJ Crumble first. So he's a 6'7 forward, um, again, going to be a sophomore this year from Cleveland. And last year, he was a teammate at Lutheran East of um, MSU incoming 2024 recruit Jesse McCullough. They won a state championship together, and T.J. Crumble has since transferred to another high school, not a prep school, I don't believe, but another high school in Ohio, so they're not going to be teammates this year, but they've still got a very good relationship. 
Um, I've seen some quotes from him that he's he's talked. This is I think this is his first visit. And he's talked a lot to Jesse McCullough about Michigan State already. Um, so an Ohio kid, very much in Izzo's traditional wheelhouse in terms of where he likes to recruit, very highly regarded. He's crumbled, seen as a top 30 guy at this stage in his class. Um, so definitely a name to watch. And then Reynolds. And then Stephen Reynolds from Indiana is a 6'5" guard another one of these guys has some on-ball skills but also will play wing play off the ball um again top 30-ish guy in this class very highly regarded um you know it's early days with with these kind of guys when they're just starting their you know they're in the first few days right now of their sophomore years in high school so it's hard to have a concrete feel where they're going to end up but uh generally speaking when michigan state is getting guys in at this stage they're going to be in it for the long haul and so those are two names crumble and reynolds that i would i would very much keep in the back of your mind as as names that you'll continue to hear about over the next couple years um it's pretty rare that michigan state has a kid come in for a visit as a sophomore and then just fall off the radar. It happens, but not often. Okay. So, and the fact that these are guys from traditional Michigan state recruiting territory, we've, we've talked some about how they really have broadened their recruiting approach. We're seeing guys being recruited from parts of the country. Michigan state has never really been heavily involved in before, but these two guys are not that anything but they are from rock solid you know they're guys who probably would have been msu targets at any point in tom Izzo's tenure based on where they're from well it's pretty cool uh that all this is kind of heating up here and of course like i said it's kickoff day for the football team uh so i'll race and try and edit this and get this out so you at least can listen to this on your drive home from the game uh and just a reminder too you know Nudge Printing does great jobs. If you, for, for Spartan Apparel, obviously gear, if you need it for your tailgates, they've got all the kind of unique stuff that you don't get at the student bookstore and other places. They have the vintage Sparties, all those licensed uh, license wear that you can't get anywhere else. And so Nudge Printing, nudgeprinting.com is a great place to go. High quality screen printed stuff. My family loves all the stuff we have. Very wearable. The, I've got the hoodie. It's very wearable and soft and comfortable, as are their t-shirts. And I just can't speak highly enough about them. Uh, they also have other schools in the state of Michigan and some just random schools around the country. So, you know, you've got an Alma kid or you've got a kid out at Saginaw Valley or Grand Valley State. Uh, you can get their their shirts and stuff, too. So you get 20% off by typing in Final Four in the coupon code if you're a listener to the show. Also, if you are a recurring patron, either through Patreon or Substack, you are automatically entered in a drawing every month to get some free gift cards for Nudge Printing and uh, we'll have that. Um, we'll announce those up every month. And so if you want to do that, of course, you can go over to the final force on the schedule.com slash support. So check out nudge printing at nudgeprinting.com. You won't regret it. And I guess uh, until next time, the final force on the schedule, go green. <laughs>